you're going in and out a little bit. Thanks so much for tuning into Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking to Kelly about dyslexia. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, now, can you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Sure. Um, I am the co-founder of the Dyslexia Training Institute, and we offer online courses to people who want to learn more about dyslexia, more about the intervention, uh, more about how to advocate for a student. Um, our, advocacy service, our advocacy services are really related to the uh, United States law, but our, um, our intervention classes and our professional development classes are all international classes. Um, we also travel pre-COVID. <laughs> we used to travel quite a bit all over the world and um, training teachers and schools and anybody who was interested about what dyslexia is, how to intervene, um, teaching the structure of the language. I'm also a linguist. I have a master's degree in linguistics as long as, along with my doctorate in literacy with a specialization in dyslexia. So I'm able to take all that information together and talk about what dyslexia is and what the intervention is. Um, we also have centers here in San Diego, California, where we work with students one-on-one -on -one, um, who have dyslexia. But um, now with what we're dealing with with the pandemic and even quite frankly, pre-pandemic, we were meeting with our, our tutors, meet with our students uh, via Zoom. So this, um, in this format, I guess everyone knows what Zoom is now. Um, so we do have a lot of tutors who meet with their students via Zoom, they do that as well. And then I wrote two books, um, Dyslexia and Spelling and Dyslexia Advocate. And I'm working on my third book, which is due in a couple months, um, called The Adult Side of Dyslexia. That's about it in a nutshell. Sorry. <laughs> Ah, so what was it that inspired your interest in dyslexia? So initially I worked at the adult literacy program at the local public library here in San Diego and we worked with adults who would come into the library from 18 years old to up to 90 years old and they had low literacy skills and we would match them with volunteer tutors. So my job was to train the tutors and then match the tutor and the learner and make sure they had all the materials and the training they needed so that the tutor could teach the student. Um, and so I was just, you know, these adults would come into my office and just cry and tell me their experiences and tell me how low literacy has affected them and just lay it all out there. And it's all the shame and guilt and sadness and frustration. And I just, you know, I just wanted to help and I wanted to know why. And so I just threw myself in the dyslexia world. And then when I got all the education I possibly could, then I, we decided with my business partner who I met there, um, to open the Dyslexia Training Institute so that we could help kids before they became the adults who were in the program. And um, I thought that program in the hardest to teach because we had volunteer tutors teaching people who have dyslexia. And it's really well-meaning, it's a really good program, but people with dyslexia need a specific intervention and, and they're difficult to teach, not, not that's coming out wrong, but it's hard. It, it, they have a harder time learning how the English language works than other people do. So that's how, I mean, the, the adults are really where my passion is. I really, really am driven by the adult stories. What would your def definition of dyslexia be?
Um, I think you asked me. So I just like to add, I'm going to wait one second because I think my internet's unstable. I would like to add that it's also, um, some people can have dyslexia and still have average phonological processing. So dyslexia can also be someone who has trouble with reading, even though they can verbally manipulate the language. So I would add into that definition also orthographic processing, but that's my, my opinion. The official definition is phonological processing difficulties. Is there a test for dyslexia? So in order to get officially diagnosed with dyslexia, you have to go through a battery of tests. Um, and those tests include phonological processing, spelling, reading comprehension, reading fluency, writing and observation, um, parent interviews, teacher interviews, um, and, and oh, sorry, intellectual testing, intellectual cognitive testing, IQ testing. So a student who wants a, an official full battery, which can take two to three days to get through, but you can also get a screening. So you can get a, a short screener that can give you um, an indication that dyslexia might be present without an official diagnosis. And that would usually include um, just phonological processing or rapid naming or both. Could you explain about spelling and other difficulties? Yeah, so I'm, um, I'm really into spelling because um, there is a scholar in the, in the linguistic world who says just because you can read a word doesn't mean spell it but if you can spell it you can read it and, he, um, and when he said that to me it made so much sense so i've never met a student with dyslexia who was a good speller so one of the first questions i always ask parents when they call and talk to me about their children or when i'm interviewing adults for my book i always ask how's your spelling and 99.9% .9 of the time they tell me it's atrocious or awful and they might even be decent readers but they never got the spelling aspect of it and so you know, you can't be a good speller if someone doesn't sit down and show you how English is actually broken down into its morphological parts and how spelling is based on meaning. And then, you know, so you get to sound a little bit later, but we can't ignore the spelling because spelling does cause a lot of emotional and social issues for people who are very embarrassed by it. But it's a, it's a, big, it's a big part of dyslexia for sure. What are some of the myths that are surrounding dyslexia? Oh, so the biggest myth, obviously, is that people with dyslexia see things backwards. So people with dyslexia do not see things backwards. They may perceive a B as a D or D as a P, but um, perceive is not even the right word. So they will look at a B and they'll call it a D, or they'll look at a D and call it a B, or they'll add the wrong phoneme to the wrong grapheme. Um, and that's not because they're seeing it backwards, it's because when you look at a B and then you turn it around to a D, it's the same shape. It just changed in space. So um, a good analogy is if I show you a picture of an elephant and then I turn the elephant around, we can perceive that that's still an elephant. The elephant can be upside down and it's still an elephant. But now we're taking a B and then we're changing it in space and now we're changing its grapheme and its phoneme. And then we're changing it again and now it's a P and now it's changing its grapheme and its phoneme again. So people with dyslexia, because they struggle with language, processing language, they have a harder time processing what that letter shape is actually representing in the word that they're trying to read. So it's not that they're seeing it backwards, it's just that they're trying to perceive what it is because it changed in space.
I also heard many years ago that all you need to do is wear rose-tinted glasses. And um, <laughs> remember that one? Uh, that's still that's still around. That's still a really really big. You know, people are really trying to sell that. If you get if you just put colored paper on top of something, or you get that colored lenses you were talking about, that you're going to cure dyslexia. Um, first of all, you can't cure dyslexia. And if we really think about that rationally, if that really helped, wouldn't we just give everybody colored lenses and move on? instead of going through all the things that we go through to try to help these, um, these students learn to read and spell. So I'm not saying it doesn't work for other things. I'm not saying it doesn't help. It doesn't have a great placebo effect. I'm just saying that reading through colored lenses or colored papers or overlays isn't going to teach anyone how to spell. Yeah, that's right. So what is, what is multi-sensory and explicit intervention? So structured multisensory explicit intervention is what the dyslexia community, it's the terminology we use to describe what the intervention should include for what it means is that you have to choose. So multisensory can mean anything from using different colors to using um, blocks, to using having them get up and write something on the board in different colors. My students love writing on the whiteboard. The whiteboard seems to really help them. Just to moving things around, moving th word parts around. Uh, if you're using a syllable-based program, they could be moving syllables around. Or if you're using a morphology-based program, they could be moving the morphology around. So that's the multi-sensory piece. And then it's also um, multi-sensory. You could be tapping your fingers just saying things while you're feeling them, all kinds of different ways you could do multi-sensory. And the explicit is telling them why something is the way it is in English, not just let's memorize it, let's read it 5,000 times and memorize it. Say, you know, that's really interesting. Why, er, why is there a W in the word two, T-W-O? Why, why is that there? That's interesting. I'm gonna tell you why it is, and that's my explicit teaching. Or I'm actually not gonna tell them, we're gonna figure it out together but I'm explicitly telling them why it is. I'm not making them rely on their memory because students with dyslexia have, it, have difficulty remembering language. So using memory tactics to memorize language seems kind of productive. So instead we would go and discover why there's a W in the word two and that's the explicitness. Or um, if you're using a syllable-based program, the explicitness is, okay, here's the word fantastic. And now you have to divide this into its syllables and then you have to label what kind of syllable it is and based on what kind of syllable it is then you're going to know how to pronounce the syllable and now you can read the whole word so that's the explicit part and the systematic part is that you you teach one concept before you teach another concept so they have to master one concept before they master the next or move on to the next does that make sense yes yes it does it always amazes me how people are just really naturally good spellers and, and some people just can't get a grasp on it. But, you know, I suppose in school, you know, when I went to school anyway, it really wasn't explained in, in the way you've just explained it. And I don't know how other people just sort of figured it out. Well, you know, um, dyslexia occurs in about 10 to 12% of the population. Um, a lot of people will say it's 20% of the population. That might be true. I tend to be a little bit more um, conservative on that number. But so that leaves, you know, 85% of the population just gets it. 
and that's fine. Um, but there's still, you know, 10 to 12 percent of the population is a lot of people that don't just pick it all up. And they do look at their friends and their neighbors and class and like are so jealous and so frustrated that these kids that they're just as smart as uh, that they're just as smart as are getting it and they're not and they don't understand why. Yeah, that's right. If children aren't diagnosed with dyslexia and are having real difficulty keeping up with the rest of the class, what type of psychological effect will this have on them? So I love this question because I am just finishing up interviewing adults. And like I said, I worked with adults for 12 years. And one of the things that I think we're really, really missing is how emotionally damaging dyslexia can be. Um, they know that they're failing. They know they can't relate their peers. They know that when they go, get pulled out and that whatever they're doing in this pullout situation isn't working, they know it's not working. Um, they're trying as hard as they can. And you know, every single year that they go without any intervention or somebody sitting down with them and just acknowledging their, their struggle, like no one acknowledges it. No one says something to them. No one uses the word dyslexia. No one sits down and says, this is why I'm doing this instruction. And without all of that, they just, you know, if they don't have home support, if they don't for whatever reason have a parent that go in and, and advocate at the school, they just really, there's two different, two different paths they take. There's the path of the kid who has all the support in the world, and then there's and they're very different paths. I don't think anyone ever asks the student how they're feeling about all of this or how's it going or how's this affecting you and kids don't feel like they can speak up for themselves so i'm really passionate about that question <laughs> sorry i could go on and on uh, it's just i just think it's really under we don't talk about that part enough instead everyone wants to talk about what it is it's phonological processing you know what's the intervention like what about the person you know what when i ask people with adults to describe their dyslexia they never use the language that I used in, in the definition. They always go to the social emotional part. It's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, now, what is the best way for a parent to advocate for a child with dyslexia? Are you still there? Yes, yeah. It seems to be seems to be cutting oh. out, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry, did you get what I did I come through? Uh no, no. I'll still now ask the question again. What oh, is no. this way for a parent to advocate for a child with dyslexia? Okay, so parents need to never back down. They need to trust their gut instinct about their child. They need to be, they need to be okay with being that parent, um, but mostly trust their instincts. If they think something's off and something's wrong, do not allow anybody to tell you to wait or that it will go away or that it's not a big deal. It will not go away. Waiting's only gonna hurt the child's emotional, social health. And you know, you know what's right for your child. Just don't give up. 
and don't wait. There's no, just don't wait for anything. Um, Waiting is one of the worst things you can do for kids with dyslexia. So just be that parent, just be willing to be the squeaky wheel. And I really, really mean that. Well, I'm not sure about Australia, but in the States, is it fairly easy for um, a child to get a test? No, and I know I, I'm, um, I follow most, a lot of the Australian Facebook pages and their, um, what they talk about as well. And I believe it's pretty much the same. It's really hard to get schools to acknowledge dyslexia here in the States. And I believe it is in Australia as well. But the problem really is, even if you do go and get an assessment either through the school or privately, then you have to just decide what's the best intervention for the kid. And that's really not kids with the school. And it's just, it's, it's not a situation that's really getting better as far as I can see. I can see little, you know, um, there are little spots here and there in the United States where maybe some school districts are doing things better, but it's not, it's not easy. It's not an easy path for the parents or the teacher, or the, I'm sorry, or the students, really hard. Yes, well, um, you know, you think that things have improved and I remember people telling me that quite different now than it was 10 or 20 years ago. But um, a friend of mine said that when they got to university, they just said at university, no, we don't, we don't do testing here. And it's quite amazing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just so infuriating. And that, you know, when I'm interviewing these adults, I very, you know, I intentionally interviewed older adults and then adults who just graduated from high school so I could see if they had different experiences and they're the same experience so like nothing's changed and it's like just it's brush it's maddening people are getting hurt you know emotionally and socially getting hurt and it's not okay yeah yeah exactly so I suppose there must be many adults that have gone through the education system and never been diagnosed with dyslexia is there any assistance for dyslexic adults? So that is such a good question. I do think that varies from country to country. In the US, I would say very little to none. You can go to the library system, at least in California where I worked. I don't know about any other states. Um, there is an organization called Pro Literacy and they do do adult literacy. Um, so adults could start there. Um, other than that, I do know the UK has a pretty cool little program where adults can meet in groups, obviously pre-COVID, meet in groups with each other because when I talk to adults, they tell me they feel very isolated. They feel like they can't talk to anybody. They don't know what their rights are at work because they don't know if they really have a disability or not. Um, so no, there's really not a lot out there for adults at all. It's, a, it's an area that. Yeah, I was watching a, uh, a, an American movie once and the parents actually had their child diagnosed with dyslexia and the, they, um, they suggested that they send the boy away to, it was sort of like a boarding school. And I was, I was quite shocked about this because it would be trauma with, you know, I mean, the other siblings were staying within the, within the family and he was actually having to be sent away and he was crying and upset. 
And I, I thought, gee, you think they would have been support within his school, not having to send him to a separate school. Is this fairly common in the States? Um, I would say that's probably common for a parent, for a school to tell a parent that they must think the parent has the means to do that. Um, I would say most parents are just blown off. It's like, um, we're doing everything we can. Maybe he's just not a reader. And that's really what happens. I'm also an advocate. I should have mentioned that. So I do go to IEP meetings, which is our special education meetings here in the US. And I do hear a lot of just like throwing their hands up in the air. Like, this is what we have. Take it or leave it. And it's, you know, so many parents have to get tutoring outside. But to send them away is really extreme. There are some boarding schools, but I mean, they're phenomenally expensive. They're really kind of out of reach for most people. Um, so most people are just left to their own devices to get tutoring out, outside of school, which is also another issue because now the kid is trying really, really, really hard all day. And now he has to go to tutoring after school or she. So, you know, there's that too. Yeah, I suppose too, with the use of technology, it'd make it a lot um, easier for a dyslexic child, especially having got um, what it's called actually, but either like Dragon Naturally Speaking and programs like that. So instead of having to painstakingly write everything out and, you know, not having good spelling skills, you could actually just speak into um, your PC or laptop and everything's typed out for you. I, I often wonder why anybody would bother to type because it can, it can print everything out so much faster than anybody can type as well. Yeah, the accommodations like that are huge. So once a kid hits like seventh grade or an adult finally figures it out, using the accommodations you mentioned are really a, a lifesaver. Um, they still want to know how to spell because most of the time spell check doesn't help. Um, they don't know what they spelled wrong and what they haven't spelled wrong and they have to do a grocery list or they have to do something for on the fly with a piece of paper and they can't do it. Um, but yeah, the accommodations that, are, that you're mentioning, um, books on audio, speech to text, text to speech, um, have typewriting, having someone take notes for you, all of those things are game changers for students with dyslexia. So is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered? Oh my gosh. Um, just to, you know, make sure that, I just kind of reiterate when you ask the questions about what parents can do. It's also um, a question for what can teachers do? Um, and teachers also should not wait and don't underestimate how, uh, how much of an effect and an impact you have on a student who's struggling. Um, don't underestimate the words you use when you're, when you're talking to someone with dyslexia. Telling a student that they should try harder, they should work harder, they should stay in at recess and you know, write their word 5,000 times. Um, don't underestimate the impact that has. Oh, and then one thing, if, I, if nobody walks away with anything else, don't ever make a student with dyslexia read out loud in front of their peers, ever. Unless they raise their hand and they want to do it, then please call on them. But if they don't, that I ask every single adult that I interview, I say, what is one word you would use to describe reading out loud? And almost all of them say trauma, torture, and terrifying. And so just, just be really conscientious of the words you're using because a student, students don't struggle on purpose. If a student could read, they would. 
So be very kind and acknowledge them and try to help them with their accommodations and really try to also be the advocate and help them get the resources they need at school um, because they remember their teachers vividly. And, and if it's a bad experience, they remember it to this day and it, it brings tears. So please don't underestimate the words that we use with our students with dyslexia and don't ever kind of give off the vibe that you think they're not trying because they are as hard as they possibly can. Right, yeah, that just made me think about that. Now, do the teachers, uh, do they receive any training in recognizing dyslexia? Very little. Um, I don't know about in Australia. I don't think it's too much in Australia either. Um, very little. They're, like I said, there are little spots around the country here in the United States where they'll get some training, but um, we, you know, we, Teach, we train teachers all the time at Dyslexia Training Institute and their comments are constantly, I can't believe I didn't learn this in college. And so my business partner and I always say, always say we shouldn't exist. We, we should not exist. What we do should be done in teacher prep programs. So um, no, they're getting very, very little and a lot of it is very political, um, what people believe and what they don't believe. So there's a lot of that that you have to sift through in order to really make a difference. So are you doing any future study within the field of dyslexia? Well, right now I am just finishing up my interviews with my adults and then I am pulling out all the themes that come out and I'm putting it into a book called The Adult Side of Dyslexia, which will hopefully, um, the whole point of it is to use their experiences to help current teachers and parents um, help kids who are currently struggling. So right now I'm sifting through hundreds of pages of transcripts and just looking for things that they all said um, that were common, that, all the commonalities that they had. So that's what I'm doing right now. So if there's any teachers or parents out there or, or people themselves who think that they might be dyslexic, how would, how would they go about getting in, in touch with um, your program or other programs to get some more information? They can go to dyslexiatraininginstitute.org. I don't know if I should spell that out. <laughs> it's pretty long. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, okay, it's, well, it's long, so let me see if I can even do it. So it's D-Y-S-L-E-X-I-A, then then training, so T-R-A-I-N-I-N-G, and then institute, I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E, and that's all one word in the internet, dot org. Right. Okay. Thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.